Please open your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Romans, to chapter 3. We'll attempt to study verses 21 through 26. The book of Romans, chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. I do think that today we will not sufficiently get through the whole of these verses. These are pregnant verses of Scripture, just filled with the hope that Christians have in Jesus. And so we're going to make every effort not to rush through this because this is God's word and it is especially precious to us this morning. I do also want to remind you where we are in the book of Romans. We are in chapter 3 and in verse 20 concluded what has been called Paul's great discourse on the doctrine of sin. And so here, in verse 21, we pick up and we press on in this same argumentative train. And we begin what some have called Paul's book on justification by faith. And so this will be a large topic, the topic of justification. And if that's a foreign term to you this morning, uh, that will be defined for you. So just hold tight and bend an ear and Pay attention to the reading and the preaching of God's word. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. This is God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Thus far the word of God. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, we pray that as we come to your word, that you would subdue us and bring us under your power. That you would inform and teach our minds and our hearts. Oh Lord, that we would behold Jesus, the Savior of sinners, our Savior. Oh Lord, that we would receive your truth And the object of faith that your scriptures point to, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father in heaven, help us, oh Lord, to be your people. Conformed into the image of your Son. Sanctified by his blood and by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Justificatio est articulus stantis et cadentis ecclesiae. 
Justification is the article by which the church stands or falls. Martin Luther emphasized the doctrine of justification rightly. And he understood and perceived within the doctrine of justification the most essential doctrine of the Christian faith. And some people might say, well, why do you think it's the most essential doctrine? Why would Luther emphasize this single thing in such a way? And it's because this doctrine directs our faith. What do I mean? Well, I mean, it answers the question, how are we made right with God? Wherever it points us is what we inevitably put our faith in. If we believe that we are justified or made right with God, or pardoned, accepted in His sight by the works that we do, we'll place our faith in our works. We'll place our faith ultimately in our capacity to keep religion faithfully. Our faith will be in us. However, if we believe that justification is by faith in Christ alone, our hope will be pointed to Him. We'll come to Him as needy people with hands outstretched, as if we're holding an empty cup and we're dying of thirst, and that He's the fountainhead. And we'll come and find in Him the drink for our souls, the nourishment. The reconciliation, the peace, the favor, the sonship, the pardoning, the mercy of the Lord our God in heaven. Justification is an essential doctrine. And I said I would define it, and so I will. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks the question, what is justification? And it answers, justification is an act of God's free grace, so it's an act of God, wherein he pardons all our sins. It's pardoning. And accepts us as righteous in his sight. He looks and says, you are righteous only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. That he gives us the righteousness of Jesus as a gift freely if we believe in him. That is, in a short phrase, what justification is. And so again, as we come to verses 20 through 26, I'm going to go back and read verse 20. We are looking specifically at the doctrine of justification How is it that we can stand before God? How can we be made right with him? And the first point, and I won't give you verses because we're going to go to several verses this morning, but the first point is this. No one has ever been justified by works. First point. No one has ever been justified by works. The second point. Justification is through faith alone. Justification is through faith alone. And then thirdly, justification is a gift of grace. 
Justification is a gift of grace. One of the things that you may be aware of if you've read the book of Romans or if you've been in this sermon series is that Paul makes big statements, unambiguous statements. And we should understand and you should understand personally that he is drawing clear lines. He doesn't want people to be confused. And for the first two and a half chapters, Paul's testimony has been painfully clear. And it's this. Both Gentiles, non-Jewish people, and Jewish people alike are terribly sinful and in themselves incapable of doing good for their own salvation. That's been his clear, his consistent testimony. And he said it again and again and again and again. And the question often rises, why is Paul just saying the same thing in a different way and with seemingly increasing terminology? And it's because you and I and all people, past and present, simply don't enjoy being told that they're sinners. I don't enjoy it. You don't enjoy it because it does not affirm us in ourselves. It doesn't call us strong. It doesn't call us sufficient. It calls us weak. It calls us needy. It calls us everything opposite of what our flesh wants to believe about who we are. You and I, down deep in the mind and in the heart, want to believe that we're self-sufficient islands, that we have wellsprings within ourselves. It's just not true. And so Paul says it again and again and again. He's like a father speaking to the ears of a child that ignores his voice. Again and again. Like my sons will say, Dad, why are you saying it over and over again? We got it. But do you have it? The reason why Paul wants us to know that we're sinners is not so that we're beaten down in ourselves, not so that we are people who ultimately feel weak, although that is the result. He's not being mean. It's not a bully pulpit. But rather, Paul simply wants us to see our circumstances. He wants us to see that we are in sin and that we desperately need a Savior. That's what he's been trying to bring us all to. That's it. And again, and again, and so one more time this morning, we are all sinful people desperately in need of a Savior. And we look at verse 20. If you look back, just one verse, we'll rewind to a couple of weeks ago. And I want us to pay some attention to this because this links the thought of Paul, verse 20 to verse 21, and then also to verses 25 and 26. And here Paul says, For by works of the law, no human being is justified or will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So, that's extremely clear. Again, Paul's drawing straight and clear lines. 
By works of the law, no human will be justified. Nobody can stand before God according to the things that he does. Nobody. Not a single person. In the Greek, no human flesh, literally, can stand before the Lord guiltless according to the things that he does to keep the commandments of God. And when we hear this sort of thing ringing out, we wonder, and maybe ask the question, is Paul saying that in the law there's something broken? That there's some insufficiency in the law of God? That there's a problem with God's word? That there's a problem with God's standard? And I want to tell you simply this morning, no, Paul's not angry at the law. Paul is concerned that we understand the incapacity, the inability of our own hearts. It's not the law's fault. The fault is with us. Because what he goes on to say in verse 20 is this, that through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It's as if the law is this righteous gleaming mirror of the holiness of God and it's held right in front of our faces. What does it show us? It shows us us. Except us with the light of God's holiness shined on us. It shows us our sin that through the law comes the knowledge of our failure. Through the law comes the knowledge of our depravity, our rebellion. You see, the problem is not with the law, but the problem is with our inability to keep the law. And Paul is saying, nobody can stand as righteous before the face of God according to the works of the law. No one has ever been justified by works. And then there's a transition And it's a transition of grace in verse 21. And we have the most wonderful and hope-filled word in the New Testament. But, there's something different. But now, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. What's the change? For so long people thought that they could be accounted righteous according to the law, but their hearts are perverse. According to the keeping of the law, they couldn't do it, but now the righteousness of God has been shown, has been made clear. My English version uses the word manifested, and oftentimes, I don't know, how often English speakers, do you use the word manifested? Made clear. To be shown, to be displayed. The righteousness of God has been shown, displayed, made clear, apart from the law. It's not as if it never was. But now in the coming of Christ, that thing, that grace which was in shadows, has its form. The outline of the Savior now shown in the face 
of the Redeemer. The righteousness of God has another method or, frankly, a method so that God's people might receive it and be reconciled with God. Why does Paul say made manifest, made clear, so on and so forth? Because there's contrast here. Old Testament, New Testament. The gospel didn't change, believe it or not, between the old and the new. It was the same for the Old Testament saints and the same for the New Testament saints. You ask, where are you talking about this, Pastor? Well, it's the shadow that we may see in Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman who will crush under heel the head of the seed of the serpent. The first preaching of the gospel. Or maybe we could see it in the shadow or the outline of the Redeemer. In the strong ram caught in the thicket by his horns. A sacrifice to save the sons of God's elect in Genesis 22 Verse 13, when Abraham is prepared to sacrifice Isaac, the son of promise. Or the shadow that we see of Christ in the Passover lamb as the Lord sent the death angel to judge all of Egypt. And he protected his people and passed over them, accepting the blood of a Passover lamb according to the sins of the people. Exodus 12 Or the outline in the Davidic covenant of the person of Christ in 2 Samuel 7. I will raise up for you one of your descendants after you who will be seated on your throne. And I will establish for him an everlasting kingdom. What do we have in the coming of Christ? No longer the shadow, no longer the figure, no longer the type but the fullness of the hope of every person that would be reconciled to God, a redeemer in the flesh. Paul doubles down on this again. And if you look forward in the text of Scripture to verse 25, we read that all of this, this manifestation of the righteousness of God that's making clear of it in the person of Jesus offered by faith that this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins do you understand what it's saying here that the people of the old testament could make sacrifice That the people of the Old Testament could apply the blood of the lamb to the doorpost. Not because the sacrifice or the lamb was in itself sufficient to save or to atone for sins. But simply because God had covenanted with himself to send Jesus as a redeemer to any who would believe in the Messiah. Now this is going to be something that he pursues further and in chapter 4 it's going to be Abraham and he's going to make this point again that Abraham was justified by faith not by works. The author of Hebrews is going to take it up also and in the hall of faith go through all these Old Testament saints in chapter 11 and again and again and again insist upon the centrality of faith 
in the redemption of God's people from Genesis all the way through. And again, why is Paul doing this? Why is he making this point? It's because he wants us to know. He wants his readers to be aware that there are not two ways of salvation. There's not one salvation for the Jew and then a different salvation for the Gentile as if the Jew just keeps the law and the Gentile has faith in Jesus. Two different roads ultimately leading to the same reconciliation with the same God. That's not at all what's to be believed in the truth of the word of God. There's not one Old Testament method of salvation and one New Testament method of salvation. There is Christ in the shadows of the old, the Redeemer of the church for every age, and Christ the Savior in the fullness of His flesh hanging on a cross and resurrected from the grave in the New Testament. Faith in Jesus alone has always been the way God's people stand before Him. Why is that relevant? It's so that you will simply, only, uniquely go to Jesus for your salvation. No one has ever been justified by works. And then we go on and in verse 22, we see him express or give a full account of what he means or what has been manifested or what the righteousness of God is that the law and the prophets testified to and it's this the righteousness of God through faith and Jesus Christ for all who believe that's it it's very simple how can a man or a woman or a child Jew Gentile indifferent pygmy on a South Pacific island, man in the deepest jungle, a troglodyte in the bottom of a cave, a man on the top of a mountain. How can they be saved? Through faith in Jesus. That's it. It's faith in Jesus. Justification is through faith alone. Nothing else is necessary. Nothing else is sufficient. It's simply through faith in Jesus. And Paul is so concerned that we get this in our heads and get this in our hearts that he says it repeatedly. He says it two times here in verse 22. Look at it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Why is he doing that? Because he's like a good father who knows that his children don't listen. He knows that I'm distracted. He knows that I want to believe in me. He knows that I want to feel affirmed in myself and in my ability and my capacity and in my religion and in the things that I can do. My keeping of the law, my quiet time, my taming of the tongue, my attendance of worship, all those things. He knows who I am. And he tells me simply, if you'll be righteous before God, if you'll be reconciled to him, if you'll be pardoned, if you'll be accounted righteous, it'll be by faith in Jesus. It'll be by believing in him. There is an absolute insistence that if we will be righteous before the face of God, we have to put faith in Jesus. 
And that's for any and all, Jew, Greek, and indifferent, simply that they have faith in Jesus. Verse 25, it's repeated. To be received by faith. Also there again in verse 28. For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. There's not a mixture. I want to tell you simply this. This is the larger testimony of scripture. The faith that justifies is alone in justification. But it is never alone in that it produces the works of sanctification. So if you're justified by faith, you're going to live a holy life after Jesus. That's the reality. But you're not justified by faith and works. You're justified only by faith in Jesus Christ. Another thing I want to point out is it's not just justification through faith in general. But Paul is concerned to give faith its object, its target, its faith in Jesus. And this is so important because, you know, what would a a Jewish person that's according to the law and living as a Pharisee say? Well, they're faithful. They would say they're justified by faithfulness, as it were, the keeping of the law, justified by the things that they do, faithfulness. They could even almost say justified by faith, but it's not faith in Jesus, is it? You see, there's faith specifically put in Jesus, and the question you have to ask yourself is this, why is it necessary to put faith in him? Because he has made atonement for your sins. Because he is the redeemer. And you see, that's what Paul opens up in a greater sense in the next point, that justification is a gift of grace. So look down there with me. And we'll go ahead and read from the second part of verse 22 on through the end. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God... And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom he put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So what is he saying? The first thing he's saying is this. Every single one of us without distinction... All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person has the need or the vacuum of their soul to be righteous before God. We all have a need to be reconciled to him without distinction, without exception. And then he says that the way we get that, the way we're reconciled to God is by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God gives us the gift of redemption in his son freely, not because of anything that we have done or could do, but freely. He gives us what we don't deserve, and he does it and calls it redemption. Now, I'm I'm quite sure that most of you have heard the language of redemption. 
But do you know what it's actually referring to? It's not just a name of a church that's printed on the sign, Christ the Redeemer, Presbyterian, Anglican, Baptist, or however. But redemption has to do with the freeing of a person. You understand it? To be a redeemer for a person is to go and then pay a wage or a price to free them or to gain them and to claim them, to make them who are not yours to be yours. That's one aspect of this gift. That Jesus is going and given by the Father to be our redeemer. To come and take us to himself. To bring us near to God. To bring us out of the grip of sin. Out of the bondage of our unrighteousness. Out of the desperation of our depravity. And to make us a people reconciled to God. The first aspect of the gift is redemption. The second aspect is that God, or the way he does it, is he puts forward Jesus as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Do you know the word propitiation? Do you understand it? Maybe not. Maybe you've only ever heard it in churches. The Greek, hilasterion, do you know it? Probably not. Maybe one or two in here. What does this mean? Well, there's been debates over how we would exactly want to define it, but I think in well, most plain terms, it relates to the Greek term for the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the place where a sacrifice is made. That's the depiction. It's a, a place where sins are paid for by the pouring out of blood, and it makes perfect sense as Paul gives the description here of what the idea of the propitiation is it's by the blood of Jesus. So what's this bigger picture? It's not only that we're being purchased and brought out of sin, but that the sins that we have committed and the justice of God according to them, the punishment that we deserve is paid It means that the wrath of God which burns against us because of our sins. The punishment we deserve by the justice of God for the things that we've committed against Him. In our hearts, in our minds, with our tongues, with our hands, with our affections. That Jesus was put to death because of it. That the punishment that we deserved was taken by him. He paid our debt completely. He satisfied the requirement of God against us. He bore the wrath of God for our sins unto death. That's how this justification can be. Because Jesus fulfilled the justice of God for us. And it is simply and freely offered to anybody who will receive it if they believe in Jesus. Will you have Jesus as Lord and Savior? 
Yes, I'll have him. That's all that's necessary. Not sophisticated faith, not propositional and clear orthodoxy, but a simple testimony of faith in Jesus. All those other things are the result of a life of faith in him, the redemption of our souls by his blood. One of the things that I'm always astounded with is that when we read the scriptures and the account of people being saved in the Bible, the bar of redemption is so low. In the Old Testament, people had redemption by putting their faith in in the hope of a lamb that's just a shadow of the Redeemer to come. They had no idea of his name. They had no idea of his face. They had no idea of the fullness of his teaching. They had no idea about him except that the Lord would forgive them of their sins and give them this this method to be reconciled. That was sufficient. In the New Testament, you think about the woman who had the flow of blood. What does the scripture tell us? That she comes and she touches the hem of Jesus' garment, just the bottom of his gown. Because she's superstitious. Just give me one of those threads and maybe I'll be miraculously healed. He's filled with power. And what does Jesus turn to her and say? Your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you is what the text says. Justification is a gift of grace to anybody who would believe in Jesus. It's a settling of the dead. It's a reconciliation with the Father. It's a purchasing of us out of the grips of hell, Satan, death, and sin. And all the effects and all the accountability that we might simply have Christ's righteousness for our own. Next week or in two weeks' time, we'll come back to this whenever I return. And we'll give our attention yet again and study the idea that the Lord might be just and justifier. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the scriptures. Oh Lord, and we give praise and thanks to you for the one to whom they point. We thank you for Jesus Lord, we thank you for your grace. Lord, that you made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Lord, we thank you that he's freely offered to us. Lord, we can't keep your law. Lord, in mind, in heart, in word, in deed, Lord, we just make a mess of it. We we thank you that because we are so unable and so filled with sin, you give us a Savior. And all you ask of us is to believe. Oh, Father, and even in that, you're full of grace and full of compassion. And you send the powerful spirit to open hearts, to give light to eyes, to give deaf ears hearing. Oh, Father in heaven, we pray that you would secure us in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to love him who died for us. Lord, help us to receive him by faith. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.